Good group. Uh, so we are going to be in John chapter 14. So we're going to close out that particular chapter that we started last week. Um, and as you're turning there, we're going to be in verse 15, but I just want to unpack a few things to recap where we started last week so we can be caught up to speed. Uh, Pastor Ryan did a great job of walking us through the beginning of this chapter where the Lord Jesus Christ was relaying to his disciples in the Passover. Remember, this is a private meeting. Jesus has stopped his public ministry. So he's not out in the public anymore. He's just with his disciples, and it's the last few hours of his life before he gets arrested and, and then put on the cross. And so what do you do when you have a few hours left with the ones that you love? What do you say? You say the most important things that you have on your mind and your heart before you leave them. And that's where we are today. So what we're going to do is something a little bit different than we normally do. We usually read and unpack, but today we're going to read from 15 to 31, and then we're going to go back and unpack it. So I want you to hear Jesus uh, speaking to his disciples in its entirety, and then we'll go back and relay the message. So join me in John chapter 14, verses 15 through 31. Christ says, If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. And on that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will too love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, who no doubt, if you have parentheses, wrote this little note, not that other Judas, the good Judas, not the bad Judas, said, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you, are, these words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I'm going away and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you for the prince of this world is coming and he has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. And just because this is a very heavy passage and very powerful and profound for the Holy Spirit, uh, let's just pray one more time. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your verses. Thank you for your loving heart that you showed us to your disciples and also the heart that you showed us on the cross. But we cannot do this life. We cannot do church. We can't do anything but by the power of the Holy Spirit. So reveal to us what it is we are to know today in this word. In Jesus' name, amen. So as you can see in this chapter, uh, right away, the Lord is showing his disciples, yes, I am leaving. I know you guys, he's saying basically to the disciples, I know you're freaking out 
because I just told you I'm leaving and I'm going to leave you alone, but I won't leave you alone for very long because I'm sending my helper. And so the first thing I want you to see, um, the first note I want you to see and write down is God's plan is to bring you into his presence and his power. And he knew that he was on his way to his death, and he knew that his disciples were afraid, but what did he show them? I still have a plan to not leave you alone, but not leave you alone apart from me. I'm coming to you in a different way. I'm coming to you in a different form. In fact, I'm continuing what the Holy Spirit started in me by putting the Holy Spirit in you. So you will never be without. And so just you want to know, that's the crux of this entire chapter. Really, that's the whole book. If you think about it, that's the Bible. You have creation. God creates man. He spends time with him. Chapter three, we blow it. I mean, it was just like you guys couldn't even go to chapter four. You couldn't even wait till after Genesis to blow it. Chapter three, man completely destroyed or severed that relationship through his sin. And God immediately worked in a plan for a Messiah. And now a Messiah is here. And what is the Messiah's plan when he's leaving? Immediately working a plan for the Holy Spirit. So God walked with his people. Jesus Christ is now here on earth. And now he's about to leave. And he's saying, I'm never, ever going to be apart from you. I am now sending my spirit. So if you ever want to ask yourself when you wake up in the morning, what is God's plan for me? His plan is to move you deeper and deeper into his, into his power and into his presence. And anything that happens along the way that enriches that will be the thing that you bring into that experience and hold on to. So like, as you're reading the word, you're like, wow, the Bible's real and I love it. I'll keep it. Prayer works. Oh my goodness. I, hey, did anybody else know that prayer works? I'm going to use that more often. But anything that doesn't apply to that situation or actually gets in the way of that relationship, the Lord is slowly going to, by discipleship, strip that from you to once again grow you. And that is what we're seeing right here. Why is the Lord doing all this? Because we were lost before we even knew that Jesus Christ came and found us, right? We were far away in death and sin before we realized we needed a Messiah who would usher in us into an eternity and a life, right? An eternal life. And so the Lord has come to us. But look where he meets us. There's three separate statements where he meets us in this plan through these verses. Look at verse 15. If you love me, keep my commands. Intersection, this is where we meet Christ. If you love me, keep my commands. Look at verse 21. Skip on down to there. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. This is starting to sound like me talking to my kids on the way out the door. Get your shoes. Get your socks. No, those are not shoes. Those are hats. Get your socks. That's underwear on your head. I, don't, I can't use that. Get your shoes. Get your socks. Why is Jesus being so repetitive? Why are we so repetitive? Till we get it. Look at verse 23. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. You know, there's so many times that I have sat there and just wondered about why is God so repetitive and literally have sat there and had a same conversation with either myself or my family, and have been like, why are we doing this over and over? Why have we? I've sat in the mirror and said, Joey, again, really? It's you. And I'm looking in the mirror, and it's me. But how many times is the Lord saying in one verse, it's because he's on his way to the cross, and he wants to make sure that he drives home this point. And this is the point, that obedience is a result of your love. It's not an ingredient. 
It's not like a direct command, right? He's not just barking orders and hoping that you'll jump because you're afraid. There, it, it's, not a, it's not a word that works like this. The word actually is a closer to this is the result or the explosion or, or maybe the flourishing that comes out of first there has to be love and then there comes obedience because if I'm just standing and looking at God and I'm just worried about a threat of violence, then I will do what he says, but I'm more concerned about not getting hurt. I'm not caring about what he cares about. I'm more concerned with not letting him down versus him growing me spiritually, maturing me, moving me forward to a heavenly life. I'm just worried about the status quo. I'm not entering into this work with him, which brings us to this picture on the screen. I want to show you something here. Up on the screen, you see two sets of flowers here, and in the middle, you see the buds, right? And that inside of that, you know what it's going to be. It's going to be that white flower, right? But inside in the bud, you don't know that it can go, go to be that thing until it actually blooms, which comes to this way. You know, my wife was telling me the other day, because I've been kind of busy lately, and she's like, you know, every time you get up from the dinner table, you just leave the dishes. And I'm like, oh, I'll just put them in the sink and let them soak overnight. She's like, if you love me, you go put those dishes in the sink right now. And I go, okay, potentially... I love you because potentially I'll put away those dishes because potentially I will obey you. Can we work on that? Or does she rather see me operate in this way? My love for her is that I care about what she cares about. I love what she loves. I'm concerned to do work alongside of her. So therefore, the potential that of the love that I have blooms into the obedience. She loves this. She appreciates this. This keeps the house clean. I'm going to pick up this dish and put it in the sink. And so what we are doing before the Lord is not saying to the Lord, potentially, and somebody, somebody's got some issues with some dishes that I could tell in their house. That was a divine word to some husband in this room today. But what we even say is, it's not the potential of it. We can't say to God, potentially, I will follow you. Potentially, I will show my love by honoring you and doing what you said. That's why I put in this here. Loving Jesus doesn't mean you just do what he says just because. Loving Jesus blooms into listening and following his commands. Why? Because I love him. Because I love him. And I love him because I know him. And the more that I get to know them, the more that I love him, the more that I care about the things that he cares about and loves the things that he loves. Because I'm going to tell you something from my own personal experience, I have found that he has loved me more than I've loved myself. And as I see that he takes special care of me and my soul, that makes me take notice of how he loves and go, wow, it's so rich and so deep. I want to be more like you. I want to be with you. I want to take care of what you want to take care of. And that's what the motivation is, to pursue, pursue the obedience and love. And that's why we have to say this. If it was something else, it wouldn't be sustainable. If it was just, once again, if I was fearful because God might hit me with a lightning bolt, that's not sustainable. I will not take special care of the things that he takes special care about. I'll just make sure I check the boxes. But that's insincere Christianity. And that's why I have to bring you to this question today. And this is a very tough question for me. How are you doing showing the love of Jesus by your obedience? How are you doing today? And I would just let you know this is a very tough question for me because I could tell you I am very obedient to preparing a word and getting up here and, and teaching. I have my time. I have my alarms that I set. I get up before the boys get up, my boys and my wife, and I study the word and I do it. But does that mean I'm obedient in every place in my life? No, there are challenges for me. There are things that I, oh, Lord, I don't know. Maybe I could do a little bit better than you. 
Or maybe I don't like the way you say it, Lord. That's, that's a very, very tough question, but that's the beginning of our discipleship because now we're moving to the thing is if I actually get to know the Lord and then I fall in love with the Lord for the very reasons that I got to know him and fall in love with him is the very reasons I would obey him because he is that good. He is that right and he is that beautiful and apart from him, there is nothing, including my disobedience. You know, I had a, a friend who brought his brother to me and he said, you need to counsel this brother. And I, I thought that was like so cool. It was like, oh, his brother would drive all the way up to Melbourne, pick up his brother, put him in the car, drive all the way back to Sebastian. And so I'm counseling this, this, this second brother, but then the first brother I haven't seen in a while. And I said to the second brother as I'm counseling, where's your first brother? He's the one that was so devout and picked you up and drove you down here. And he goes, well, you know, he's not here because he's not really living for the Lord. I go, what? He goes, oh, no, no, don't get me wrong. He loves the Lord. He's just not living for the Lord. And as I sat there and I thought about that, I was like, can that be true? Can you know Jesus, love Jesus, but then for everything that he represents on the cross and on the tomb, can you not live for him? That's an amazing thought for me because I would say that our love can be measured by our obedience. Once again, it's the result of the love that we experience that we want to pursue this relationship. Um, I got a quote from a friend that kind of encapsulates this so well. And it, let me just show you because we're in the subject of the Holy Spirit. This person didn't even know what I was teaching on. And they sent me the best quote from William Barclay. It says it this way. There are children and young people who say that they love their parents and yet cause them grief and anxiety. There are husbands who say that they love their wives and wives who say that they love their husbands and who yet by their inconsiderateness and their irritability and their toughness and unkindness bring pain to the one that they love. To Jesus, real love is not an easy thing. It is only shown in true obedience. It's an amazing quote. I can say that I love you all day, but if I keep stepping on your toes, you're going to be like, hey, buddy, what's going on? If I don't put the dishes in the sink, there's a lot of dishes in this service, just by the way, so we're going to be talking a lot about that. If I don't put the dishes in the sink, you're going to go, do you say you love me, but where is it? What have you done for me? And you're going to say, well... I don't care about those things because I don't care for what you care about. I really don't care about you. That's what this quote says. I want to let you know this. Can we annoy Jesus Christ with our sin? Can we frustrate Jesus Christ with our ability to rebel? And yet was he obedient to the Lord all the way to the cross? Amen. That is what the Lord is showing us through this. His plan is to bring us into his presence and his power. And where is that intersection? Our love and our obedience. So join me in verse 15. We will unpack now and we will observe together. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. So this is interesting because this is the first time that Jesus Christ is going to outright claim that the Holy Spirit is coming to us. He's made some allusions to this before, but this is the first time he has declared it. And he's saying to him this way, another advocate, which means he says, you're going to receive a helper just like me. So initially, I was your helper. Now there is another helper. And everything that you see in me, you're going to see in Jesus Christ. Do you see how the verses start to make sense? The same attitude the same goals, the same purpose and destiny that is inside of me as I lead you and shepherd you will be the exact same in the Holy Spirit. And this person is going to be amazing. When they would hear this word, they would hear it this way. The word for advocate is paraclete. 
um, it would come to look a lot like this, an advocate or an intercessor, someone who slides in between. A more direct quote would be a standby. If you've ever left a dark building at, late at night and you're a little, I mean, even I can admit this as a guy, you know that parking lot a little, a little scary. It's not a lot of lights. You go and find the biggest dude in the building. Hey, can you walk out with me to the car? And we'll both make like really mean faces on the way and we'll run really fast and jump in the car and then I'll drop you off at the front, right? You know, like it just, we got to get there quick. Why? Because I need someone to stand by. This word stand by would closely resemble the word as somebody who intercedes for you in court. This is a person who would defend you in court by speaking the truth. The spirit of truth would come alongside you and speak the truth. And sometimes it could be something that we could see as something's awesome um, because we need someone to not only speak the truth for us in the court of spiritual court of law with, you know, Satan as our accuser who comes along and says, look at Joey, he's a sinner. And Jesus Christ says, wait a minute, I've paid the price for Joey. And the Holy Spirit then proceeds to say the truth this, you've been set free. That's where we receive the Holy Spirit today. Jesus, because I'm revealing to you today, you have not seen Jesus Christ on the cross, you have not seen Jesus Christ in the tomb, but because Jesus Christ paid that price for you, I am now your lawyer, now standing in front of you. You have been set free. Go with no shame and guilt or condemnation. But this word is also closely related to another word, parafortis, fortis, fortress. That's got a nice ring to it, right? I will send to you a helper who will be your fortress, who will be your shelter in the storm. If the enemy comes, you will be inside of the fortress. If you need a day off, go inside the fortress and hide. If you need a nap, go and rest inside of the fortress because nothing can touch you inside of the fortress. So these are all the kind of lines that the disciples would draw when they would hear this word. And this is amazing, too, because remember, this isn't a time when Jesus has just dropped this bomb. I'm going to leave you, and somebody else is going to come and help you, right? And so inside of this, this is the kind of person they're going to be. Everything that I've done for you, they're going to do that and more. So they're hearing a little bit teased out of the more. But understand this, that God has a heart for the alone and the lonely, Because the moment they said that they, hey, look, Jesus, we could barely do ministry when you were standing here telling it to our face. Did you see how many times you had to tell us to love you and obey you in one chapter? I mean, we are hard-headed. We are barely getting this. How bad do you think it's going to be when you're gone? And the Lord is assuring them, I will never walk you through something without a plan. I will never lead you to something that you would not be able to understand yourself. And inside of this, he's saying right now, I'm going to the cross. And think about this. This is interesting. Christ, do you think Christ was nervous about going to the cross as a human being? It says so in Scripture. It says that he sweat blood in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was praying. I will let you know, I've been nervous about stuff to the point of sweating, and I have soaked some shirts. I may have even stunk a little. I've never sweat blood. He was nervous, and yet he could have probably used some ministry that night, right? Hey, Jesus, I love you. Keep, keep going strong, buddy. Go all the way to the cross. Save us all. Nobody is ministering to Jesus. What is Jesus doing in the middle of that? Ministering to them. God is of a heart for the lost and for the lonely. He has a plan. He knows exactly what you're going through before you get there, and he has a plan to execute it. And what is the plan? Himself, in this case, in the place of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. So who is this Holy Spirit? Well, most Christians in the United States don't really actually know the Holy Spirit. It's a kind of a topic that kind of scares some people. Like everybody goes, I know the Father. He's the creator of heaven and earth. I know that guy. Jesus, really awesome, has great paintings, 
Great hair, homeless, walking around, healing people, raising people. That guy, no. Who's the Holy Spirit? Don't know. Don't really, can't really define it. In fact, 69% of American Christians in a 2021 American Worldview uh, survey said uh, they don't really even know the Holy Spirit. 58% of the ones who said they didn't know the Holy Spirit went on to say he's not real. It's just a mention in the Bible because he's a person or a symbol of power. But I want you to know that the moment that Jesus Christ walked obediently into his water baptism, God said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, and then the Holy Spirit descended upon him. His ministry thus began and exploded. And not until he was obedient and met the Lord in his love and obedience did the Spirit come to him. And that is a model for us right here. And this is how he's going to describe that. Look at the next part of 17. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. That's the book of Acts right there. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. Verse 20, on that day you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Now, you have to understand how powerful of a moment it was for Jesus Christ to say to a bunch of Jews, the same power that would lead the nation of Israel, that would reside in the temple. Think about the powerful moment this is. When you would see the Shekinah glory go down into the temple, the Jews would worship and also be kind of fearful, right? Because that's a very powerful spirit. But so powerful that when I were, if I were a Jew or you were a Jew at the time, we would take a lamb and we would bring it to a priest and he would sacrifice that priest or that lamb for our sins, right? Not the priest, keep him alive. And then he would then go into the Holy of Holies on our behalf to speak to the Holy, to speak to God, to say, please forgive us of our sins and give us a vision of what's next, right? Now, if that priest was not clean, he would die. So you basically like, oh, man, I hope you got everything in order because you're going in there on my behalf. I hope you're good. And if he wasn't, he died. If he was good, it worked out. But that power was real, and it was there. And now the Lord is saying, I love you. I love you so much. I want to be with you. I want to be with you for eternity. I want to prepare you for eternity. Let's take that spirit and put it inside of you. And I could see them being like, whoa, what? Excuse me? The same one that's offing priests when they don't even wash right or do the protocol right? That's the spirit you want to put inside of me? I'm not ready. And he goes, but you don't understand. I'm moving from that temple and making you a temple. I'm making you real because uh, a real place for me to land because by the power of the Holy Spirit and my blood, I will sanctify your soul no matter who you are as long as you meet me in loving obedience. And this is the powerful ministry that we enter into with Jesus Christ because that's the moment that we saw in him in the baptism when the Holy Spirit descended upon him. It's the same thing he goes, the reason why I want to be removed is because I want to put that spirit inside you so you could go on to do greater things than even I. And that sounds a lot like I'm excited for the next steps. I'm, you would be excited for me to leave so that can happen to you. Look at verse 21. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. And then Judas, not the bad Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? 
And this is how we can know this today. We don't see, but yet we believe, right? And the disciples were very always interested in this. Disciples were always like, look, God, we are so tired of telling everybody how great you are. Will you just go out there and just give them a light show? I mean, they were very much interested. Will you just go out there and raise all the dead or just make the skies explode or do something to prove to them that you're the son of God? And the Lord is going, I'm not interested in winning them over by my power. I'm interested in winning them over by my peace and my relationship. That's basically what he's saying. What I want you to do is I want you to see, I don't want you to be afraid of me. I want you to walk and talk with me. But I have to reveal inside of you where you are in that plan. And that's what he's saying. If you don't see me, if you're not participating in this, it's because you spiritually can't see and you spiritually can't hear. The Bible would actually say, the very revelation that you needed, Jesus came by the Spirit. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, but what was revealed by the Spirit. So the very fact that you became a Christian was a miracle because up until the Lord lifted up your blindness or removed your deafness, you didn't know that you really needed Jesus Christ. And so by that very spirit, you know this, you are already filled with the Holy Spirit. By that very spirit, you already know we couldn't do church except by this power of the Holy Spirit. I cannot get up here and preach at all with any consistency if but by the power of the Holy Spirit because I could preach all day. It doesn't mean anything until the Lord lifts up inside of your heart and your mind and even your own soul the importance of every word here. And this is what he's saying to you. Look at this. This slide is going to go up on the screen. This is why the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is so important. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have all come to you. It's not just the Shekinah glory. It's not just a spirit that goes in the temple. The entire Trinity is here today to make its indwelling in you. And this is God's plan for you, to be eternally with him. So what God is doing is preparing you right now to be indwelt with by the Holy Spirit. But by what is the Holy Spirit doing you? Bringing you Jesus Christ. And what is Jesus Christ doing? bringing the Father. I don't know if you feel this way, but I, I've always kind of struggled uh, like early on in my Christianity with my love for God in a certain level because it would be look like this. I always felt like God was super mad at me for my sin. But Jesus was like the super cool like older brother. He would like slide in the way and be like, look, we all saw what Joey just did. And it was the worst. I, do not mistake me, Father God. He's terrible. In fact, he should be given the boot. But if you give him to me, I'll work on him for a little bit. I'll give him an eternal makeover, and then we'll come back and see how we're doing, right? And God's like, well, okay. You know, that's not the relationship at all. The only reason that Jesus came to you is because God looked at you and said, you are with lack and you are without, and you need Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ was sent by God to us so that you could be removed from this world and put back in a place of him. But you have to be prepared for that. And this is the place that we connect. You have to have a heart that is a seat that is openly ready for eternity now. Chuck Smith has a really great statement. He says these words. He says, I'd like to live in such a way, in such unison, lockstep with God, that when I die, I barely notice it. You know, I, I love this idea because it's like we don't start living for eternity the moment that we get to heaven. We just start living for eternity now because God is here right now, the whole Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are here preparing you for later. You know, uh, Pastor Ryan did a really great job of talking about how Jesus said, I'm going to leave you and prepare a room for you in heaven, right? Or prepare a mansion for you. And now God's doing the reverse at the second half of this chapter. Yes, Jesus will leave you. 
And it's kind of like a wedding term. A groom would come to a bride and said, hey, I want to offer my hand in marriage. And she would say yes. And he would go, okay, great. See you in one year. And he would leave and he would begin to construct a house on the side of his dad's house. And then the dad would come in and give his approval. Hey, the house looks good. A woman can live here. It doesn't look like a bachelor lives here. That's good. Go back and get her. And usually takes about a year to build a house. In the meantime, while the groom is working, he would send an advocate. And the advocate would go to the, to the bride and go, here's some gifts from your, from your fiance. He loves you. He's very much in love. He talks to you about you every day. He's preparing a home for you up, in, up at the father's house. Sounds really good, right? And here's some gifts just so you can be reminded how much he loves you. Are you seeing the correlation? And every day, this, this, this advocate, as, as much as he can, would come and remind, come and remind, send the gifts so that the bride would be prepared. You know, I always like this moment with my mom. My mom would wake me up early on Saturday mornings, like back in the day, and just be like, get up, get up. And I'm like, oh, what's happening? Is there an emergency? She's, no, we got we to clean. And I'm like, why? She's like, the cleaning lady's coming over. <laughs> and 12-year-old me was like, what? I mean, that doesn't even, what you just said doesn't even make sense. I'm just like, you're paying her. In fact, we should go around the house and make it dirtier. Like, I don't understand, Mom. And she's like, no, 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 we got to clean. And I'm like, why do we have to clean for the cleaning lady, Mom? You know, because you just do it, annoy her, annoy her. Why do we have to clean for the cleaning lady? And she's like, because she can't know how we live. (laughs) And I just think of this moment. This is the place that we might be caught up in our relationship with the Lord. I'm not worthy of the Lord. No, duh. That's why he had to go to the cross. I'm not a good, I'm not even a good Christian. No, duh. That's why he sends the power of the Holy Spirit. But for, the, for us to be worthy eternal seats, if we are to be temples, if we are to live like we are made for heaven, then we need to be prepared now. And so the Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, comes in and cleans up the place and makes it hospitable for Jesus Christ and the Father. And I have to ask you, when you take inventory, are you allowing the Holy Spirit to reveal in you what needs to go so that the house becomes like uh, just a good domicile for the Lord? Is it dwellable? You know, when we moved into our new home, we had to get a certificate, a certification, a certificate of occupation so that everything was as it should be. And you know what that is? That's the Holy Spirit. Do you have him today? Well, if he's revealed to you that you needed to get saved, you receive the salvation, and now you're letting him work in you to grow you and spiritually move you ahead, then the answer is yes. It's time to stop finding any excuses to not let the Lord in totally. Look at verse 24. This is where the Lord's going to speak to everybody else. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. And so he's not talking to atheists. He's not talking to people who like the idea of Christianity. He's talking about people who have heard from the Lord, who have, knows that the Spirit is true, and yet refuses to live for the Lord. And so he's saying to them, you have a hard heart. You don't love. You know, one time when some of you guys know my testimony, um, after my parents got a divorce, I, I went crazy and off the rails and did a lot of drugs and slowly tried to commit suicide with drugs, just try to kill myself through disintoxicating my body. And then I went on this place where for six months I didn't see my mom. And then one day I just really, really missed her. And so I ran to her house, and I opened up the door, and she's looking at me like, where have you been? I haven't, couldn't reach you for six months. And I'm, Mom, I love you. I threw my, my arms around her. And she goes, she had company over. She had a lot of family members and friends. And she goes, can I see you out in the, on the patio? And so I go on the patio and go, what's up? And she goes, where have you been? What have you been doing? You haven't been near me. You don't, you're not around. And I said, well, I love you. And she goes, well, you don't show it. 
And I think about this verse right here. I didn't obey my mom's teaching. I didn't show up for Thanksgiving. I didn't show up for Christmas. I didn't help her with the things that she needed help because I was too busy doing me. And this is where she would be in the same place as God and say, you have a hard heart. You don't hear me. You don't belong to me. And I don't belong to you. And that's a Christian who does not listen. Look at verse 25. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. And I love this because the Lord is moving his people forward by saying this, I've been guiding you. I've been growing you. I've been advising you. In fact, the disciples would do this thing where they were sent out on a mini mission trip, right? And Jesus would go, you go to this village, and then in two days we'll meet over at this village at 3 o'clock, right? At the hummus stand over there, right? And so if you guys can meet there, and then they would come running and be like, oh, Jesus, I think we made it worse. Can you come over here and help us? But they at least they physically had Jesus to say, come, come. We were trying to cast out demons, but I think the demons are just more mad now. Like, can you come? Or they did a really good job, and then Jesus high-fived them, and they went over, and he said, look, you know, you've learned, right? But Jesus was always there. But Jesus was always there in one physical place at one physical time. The Lord would go on to say, I want to put a Holy Spirit in you that lasts for the next 2,000 years so that one day in Sebastian, Florida, there's a group of people that are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit that they have received, that they leave Sebastian changed forever. That is the place that we've entered into. And how do I know that's real? How do I know that growth and maturity is actually taking place? Every three to four years, I read through the Bible. That's about as fast as I can read it. And um, I'm trying to digest it and move through it. And every three to four years, I hit Bible verses that I've read a thousand times, and I go, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I can't believe I see this now, or I understand this now, or I've read this, and it's hitting me a totally different way. And I have to ask you, did the Bible verse on the paper ever change? Did the truth of it ever change, or did I change? And the only way that I can say that I have changed is because the Holy Spirit came inside of me, set up a house, started to teach, started to guide and advise me, and I became open to it. I want to let you know what that openness looks like. Can you imagine having like just a whole set of problems or a whole to-do list, and you wake up in the morning, and at the breakfast table is God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come here, Joey. Oh, hey, uh, what are we doing today? Well, I have this to-do list, and they just throw that out. We got better things planned. We got amazing things planned. Let's talk about what we want to talk about today. Oh, yes, you are the Trinity. Please, by all means, begin. First, start by working on those dishes that you left soaking. No, just kidding. (laughs) So you can see that the growth takes place inside of us. The growth takes place in the place where we start to communicate with God and let him in and let him become a part of our life, but also we become part of his life. That's a changing story. That's a changing life. Look at verse 27. It grows into this. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I love this because look at how he says this. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Whose peace is he giving? God's peace. How peaceful is God? Very, right? Why? Because he doesn't struggle with the things that we struggle. He has, does God have full confidence in himself? Does he have full faith in himself? Has he ever let himself down? No. You know how many times I've let myself down today, let alone this week? And so therefore, I, when he gives me a peace, it's not a peace of this world. It's a peace that the Holy Spirit has, has entered into with the Father. You see, the Trinity is working in unity forever. They've never failed. You just think about this. Has God and Jesus ever argued? 
Not even a once. Not even a once. Jackie and I can argue as soon as we hit the parking lot when we bring up where we're going out to eat. And not one time has Jesus and the Holy Spirit and God ever argued. And that is a supernatural peace, which means higher than ourselves that has been given to us. All we have to do is receive, open up. And I want to let you know that we are wrestling with this today because I think mostly we wrestle with our guilt and our shame. But does God operate out of guilt and shame? Never once. What did he come to set us free from? Guilt and shame, dead on the cross. I'll let you know, there's so many times that I've had a great conversation with someone when they hit a sensitive spot, all of a sudden my defenses go up, right? And I'm like, well, the only reason I yelled is because you did. The only reason I'm acting like this right now is because you're making me crazy. And now we're not getting anywhere. Why? Because I'm not at peace. So I'm not ready to listen. And yet Christ would be at a perfect peace with the Lord and go, if it is your will, I'll go all the way to the cross. If it is your will, I will die. And if it is your will, in three days, I'll be risen. And I do that because I love you. And the way I connect with you, Lord, here on earth is in my love and in my obedience. And look what he says to them next. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Why? Because where are we going? To live as Christ here on earth, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, to die is gain. If you kill me, I'm in heaven. Do not feel bad for me after that. But to live as Christ, let me know you know, this is where the disciples are. The same disciples who would run and scatter the moment that Jesus was crucified, right? Thomas doubting, Peter denying, right? All these bad things are happening. These are the same disciples who were raised up in the power of the Holy Spirit are going, hey, if you want to kill me, that's cool. If you want to crucify me, that's cool. But I'm going to keep preaching the word. And I'm going to keep preaching the word so this whole area, this whole town gets saved. And it would happen. There would be revival would break out. Dead people would be raised, Why? Because they were operating in the same power that Jesus was operating. Why? Because they lovingly obeyed him even to the point of death. And, you know, Paul is beaten and wrapped naked to the bottom of a prison. And did he have fear? No, he had perfect peace. He looks over his friend and he goes, hey, you want to start singing some Christian songs? Let's have a praise night. How many? You want to go through the whole count? Let's do it. Let's sing. And they just worshiped the Lord. They did not know that an earthquake would shake the prison free, but they knew the heart of their Lord. If you want to take me home, take me home. If you want me to be successful, blow this prison open. I don't know how you're going to do it, but let's do it. That is where they were at. And so they know that God doesn't give like the world gives. Look at verse 28. You heard me say, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I've told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he has come so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me to do. So let me read that last part again. I'm doing this, why? So that... I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me to do. We are learning from Christ how to do this life as a Christian. I love the Father and I do exactly what he commands me to do. And he does this in the face of Satan being the prince of the world. That's how you know that it was a fearful thing because he had to move into the place of death. Why? Because as Jesus was in the desert, if you can remember that story, Jesus you know, shows up and he's getting tempted by Satan and Satan is offering all of these gifts to, to, to Jesus. And you always, didn't it always kind of feel weird to you? Like, who are you to offer Jesus the world? Like, this doesn't even make sense. Like, if I was there advising Jesus, I'm like, are you hearing this? This guy's dumb. You own all this. But really, by the sin 
that was in this world, Adam and Eve turned over uh, like pretty much the deed of the world to Satan to run this world. He's called the prince of the air. And inside of this, Jesus stood strong, right? And he was, he was not tempted. He moved forward. It kind of reminds me, I used to have these friends when I was little. Not anybody now, don't worry. They would go around and they would twist off Christmas light bulbs off people's houses. And then they would knock on their door and go, hey, I noticed you have some missing Christmas light bulbs. I'll sell them back to you for 25 cents a light bulb. And you'd be like, hey, isn't that weird that I'm missing five lights and you have five in your wagon? Like, what's going up with that? But everyone just, whatever, put up with them. But it's like, I feel like that's Satan. Like, here, I'll give you this world. And it's like, no. But the Lord is saying, what is going to happen is if I listen to the Holy Spirit, if I listen to my Father, and I do what I have been commanded, I will usher in a peace into this world that will overcome this world. And it will be my power and my presence. And then when I do that, I want to give this power and presence that drives Satan back saves you, I want to put it inside of you. Look at uh, this, this last slide on the screen, John 16, 33. He says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace, in me. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so the Lord is saying this, yes, Satan has come to kill me. Yes, your sin will go up on the cross. I will die, but I will be raised again, and I will overcome. And if you are in me, and I am overcoming, and I am in you, how can you lose? The victory has already come by which way? By love and obedience. Because I showed love and obedience to God, I became the intercessor for you, and I stood in the way of your punishment and your sin, and the only thing that was driving you away from God after coming to the Lord is your shame and guilt, and if I've wiped that away, what excuse do we have not to follow the Lord? And by that same power, if you guys can, we're going to close on this. Turn with me to Romans 8, and I promise this is the last thing we're going to talk about. Romans 8.11. Turn with me there. Romans 8.11. This is about life through the Spirit. And this is how you know that you are a Christian filled with the Holy Spirit. This is how you know the church is standing today because of the Holy Spirit. Listen to this verse. And if the Spirit of him who has raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. The only reason that you are going to live forever, the only way that we can say that we don't see Jesus, but we see Jesus in the word and we see Jesus in our life is because the Father and the Son have come to us by way of the Holy Spirit to make our bodies living temples. And we have been raised with Christ. So if that same power has raised us from the dead, as it raised Jesus Christ from the dead, that means the same enemy has been crushed by that same power in our lives, which also means we have received a new peace because it's not my peace, it's God's peace given to me. And so therefore, I'm not being punished daily for the sins that I have committed or will commit. What I'm doing is I'm now operating in the freedom and grace that the power of the Spirit brings because I have victory in him and I am now a new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. Amen to this. The only thing that's left is I have to sit back and enjoy the Holy Spirit. I have to receive the blessings. I have to let him counsel and guide me away from the old me to the new me. I have to let him be my power and fortress. You know what? I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I'm fearful. You know what? Let me just take a time out and go rest in the Holy Spirit. 
the enemy is coming to me and telling me I'm not worthy. Let me go find out what the Holy Spirit has to say. The Holy Spirit says I'm a terrible Christian. Maybe partly true. Let me go see what the Holy Spirit has to say. What's the plan? What's the next steps? What's my discipleship? So this is what we're going to do today. We're going to stop and we're going to pray. And we're going to come to this place. We're going to acknowledge that we have a loving God and that we love him. And although we may not be great at it, but we're going to start committing ourselves to keeping his commandments. And then from there, we're going to expect this, an overflow of the spirit in our life. We want to know this. If you're in this room right now, you will never be alone. You will have Jesus Christ by the power of the spirit. You have the father living you in the spirit. But there's nothing more important to know this is that God is turning your body and your heart and your soul into his home. Nothing sweeter than that. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you that you are moving us deeper into a relationship with you. I thank you for the time and the place that you've put into our heart, that you love us and that you're sanctifying us. Uh, Lord, we are not perfect and we might not even consider ourselves ready, but if the Holy Spirit says so, then we have made our heart a home for Jesus Christ. Help us to get rid of anything that gets in the way of that. We want your power. We want your presence. We want to be known as a home for the Lord. And so, Lord, I just pray right now, if there's anybody that's struggling in this, let them make peace with the Lord right now. Let them receive a peace that's not their own. Receive the peace of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.